0: Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa.
1: And I'm Allison.
0: This week, we take it five centuries back to look at a church piece composed by Josquin des Let's go!
1: Like many Renaissance figures in history, there really isn't a lot of definite biographical information about Josquin des his place of birth is unclear, but it seems he may have been born in the village of St. Quentin or perhaps Beauvoir. either town would place him at the Franco-Flemish border, which in the Renaissance time was a hot spot for arts and innovation. We also do not have a clear date of his birth, perhaps it was fourteen fifty. However, there are records from the Milan Cathedral of a person who was assumed to be Josquin, registering him as an adult singer in 1459, which would thus put his birthday actually back to as early as 1440. Either way, it was a long time ago, and sometime in the mid-1400s.
0: Based on this information, we also know that Josquin was a singer as a profession. In this time period, the title of composer didn't quite exist yet, and often compositions weren't even credited to a specific person. Now this all did start to change during Joscan's lifetime, meaning that later he was identified as a composer and did get credit for his works, but more on that later. But Joscan also traveled around Europe quite a bit during his life. As we've already mentioned, he spent some time in Milan as a singer, but he was also employed at the Vatican from about 1486 to 1494.
1: He accumulated several royal appointments as well, first for the Duke of Ferrara and later for Louis XII of France. His final position was as the provost of the Collegiate Church of Notre Dame, and he held this position for quite a long time from 1504 to about 1521, and again, there are very poor records of his death. In fact, his grave doesn't even exist anymore. It was apparently destroyed during the French Revolution.
0: Though still obscure to most listeners, Josquin is actually one of the most well-known Renaissance composers to have lived. But how can this be when we know so very little about him? Well, for one, he was well-respected by his musical colleagues. He was an acquaintance, or student, hard to tell, of Ockeghem, another notorious Renaissance musician, and when Josquin himself died, many of his contemporaries wrote odes in his memory. He also lived at the precipice of revolution. During his life the printing press was invented, and he was one of the first composers to actually experience widespread printing and distribution of his music.
1: His publisher, Ottavino Petrucci, published a whole book dedicated exclusively to Josquin. This was unheard of previously, as any published book would often be a compilation of the greatest hits of the day by various composers. And thank goodness that Joscan's music was so widely printed as none of his original manuscripts actually survive. In fact, there's evidence that the publisher himself didn't even get an original to base his printing off of, as there are several quote mistakes that have been identified by scholars over the years.
0: But Joscan's work sold well so well in fact that many other composers borrowed his name for their own works, kind of an opposite of plagiarism. And in recent years, Joscan scholars have gotten serious about identifying true Joscan works as opposed to those wrongly attributed to him, and several have been struck from his canon. In several sources we read in preparation for this podcast, people are unsure about this practice. Some of these are really good works, but even now, removing the name Joscan from being associated with them has thrown them into oblivion. And shouldn't we strive to preserve this ancient music as best we can?
1: Now, the only thing that we have today that may actually have been written in Josquin's writing is his name carved into the wall of the Sistine Chapel. But again, we are left to wonder, is this defacement of a monument really Joscan's original work, or is it just another copy? So that's the how about Joscan's fame, but what about the why? Well, simply put, his music was great. A quote from Martin Luther states he is, quote, "...a master of the notes, which must do as he wishes. Other composers must do as the notes wish."
0: We've talked in a few previous episodes about the Catholic Church's strict rules about harmonies in sacred works. Basically, the church wanted to hear the words being sung in the mass, and extensive polyphony and harmony muddied the sound too much. But Josquin was very good at writing counterpoint, and found ways to make the words still audible. A few of his favorite techniques that we'll be looking at in a few moments were canons and imitation.
1: So now, let's look into Misa Gaudiamus. This work seems to have been composed somewhere around 1502, give or take a few years in either direction. It is of course a mass consisting of the standard Kyrie, Gloria, Credo, Sanctus, and Agnus Dei, but it is built around the traditional Gregorian introit, or priestly entrance, called Gaudiamus Omnes. It was in vogue during Joscan's time to take a popular melody or otherwise existing work and actually use it as the basis for one's own grand composition. And in each of these movements, Joscan put the beginning snippet of the original chant. You can very clearly hear it here in the upper voices in the Agnus Dei. You can also hear it here in the credo in the upper voice, and it's highlighted by the church's favorite perfect fifth interval.
0: As we've already said, Joscan really liked his canons, or more typically termed, rounds. This means one voice starts a melody, and the subsequent voices come in with the same melody at a predetermined point. The result should be perfect counterpoint with all voices singing in harmony. Here is an example in the Kyrie where we clearly hear the upper voices laying out a melody, and the lower voice comes in a bit later with the exact same melody. Here again in the Gloria, you can hear the upper voices singing lines that are then clearly repeated by the lower voices.
1: At the beginning of the Sanctus, the canon starts very quietly and the sound grows into a lovely fullness as the full force of the chorus individually joins. for a slightly different example that doesn't exactly produce harmony. In the credo, we hear the soprano come in with a line that is picked up exactly by the alto, but the soprano ceases singing.
0: Similar to canon, Josquin also used imitation, which differs from a canon in that the song line is not exactly the same, but may start on a different pitch. Here in the Gloria, you can hear each consecutive voice come in on different pitches to create the harmony. And also here in the credo, starting with the alto voice followed by The Soprano coming in, but up a fifth.
1: In a compositional technique that is more similar to that of Gregorian chant and pedal drone notes, Joscan often anchors the melodic upper voices to very slow-moving harmonies in the tenor. It once again creates musical interest without muddying the waters too much so that the words can be heard clearly. Now listen for these slow, low notes here in the Gloria. described the mass as the renaissance equivalent of a symphony. It's a big work with lots of musical complexity. The voices have to interact with each other in pleasing ways. One way Josquin achieves this is demonstrated in the credo, where there are moving down and up lines, but the different directions of the music motion are passed through the different voices. We start with going down in the sopranos, then back up with the altos, and quickly back down with soprano. Soon after, we start over with down in the soprano, now up in the tenors, and then back down in the sopranos.
0: Finally, Josquin wasn't afraid of rhythm. While it seems like some Renaissance masses you listen to are all just straight quarter notes, Josquin went so far as to give us some syncopation. In the upper voice, you can hear an offbeat 8th quarter 8th rhythm here in the Credo. And I think it's important to remember it's not always that the compositional techniques themselves are super impressive. It's the way that Joscan has used these in a genre that doesn't often see them used and was revolutionary for the time.
1: So we hope we've piqued your interest in this ancient music, and maybe go and give it some love over on YouTube or Spotify. After all, it's lasted all these centuries, and we think it deserves a listen by the modern audience.
0: And if we've deserved your modern listen, go ahead and drop us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or follow on Spotify, and maybe share us with a Gregorian-minded friend. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa.
1: And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. The Misa Godeamos was performed by the University of Kansas Collegium Musicum, conducted by Simon Carrington. You can find the Coffeehouse on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.